You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right. I want to welcome the live streamers, too, this morning. And, um, boy, it's good to be together, though, isn't it? How many of you are glad you're here this morning? Yes. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I've been studying the life of David, and this is um, the second segment on it, and I'm calling this Recognizing God in Difficult Times. How many of you think that might be a pertinent title for a message this morning? Recognizing God in Difficult Times. And one thing I've observed when I've studied the life of David, the lives of the disciples and the apostles, and in our lives is the difficulty people have in accurately recognizing what God is doing in the times of change and turmoil. And so when I talk about recognizing God, what I mean is that um, developing the ability to see God in your circumstances, to find a redemptive meaning, to find hope in your situation. If you can't find redemptive meaning or hope in your circumstance, then you aren't seeing things accurately or by paying attention, you may need to be more patient as things play out. Now, patience is a tremendous virtue, but there's really no easy way to get it. I do not recommend praying for patience because the Bible says tribulation works patience, and so you don't know what you're getting into. Just hope you have enough when the time's right. (laughs) Anyway, I've had something interesting happen. Donna and I spent a couple of days at the beach. And um, there's a, how many of you are familiar with Calabash and Calabash seafood and all that down there? If you're not, you should wave at me. Somebody don't blink. I can't tell how hard you blink it. Well, for the second time in my life, eating seafood down there, I found um, a pearl in my oyster which is crazy. It happened one time, Don Harvester and I were down there with a bunch of people. And, um, and I've always, I thought, well, you know, what in the world? How many of you, anybody else in here ever had found a pearl in an oyster that you were eating? I see your hand, one person in the back. I found two. Somebody say, what? You don't have to say what. Well, a pearl is um, the oyster's response to aggravation, irritation, or stress. And what it does is it exudes something called, I believe the word is nacre, N-A-C-R-E. And nacre forms around that speck of sand or that irritant. And the byproduct of the oyster knowing how to deal with the irritation becomes a precious, actually a precious stone. And I think that's a challenge, isn't it? And um, I think that's what the Lord's speaking to me about personally uh, in a very graphic, very graphic way. I've actually got it right here in my wallet, that little. And it's, you know, it's not as big as a grape, but it's bigger than a BB. I mean, it's a good size, good size pearl. And so I believe the Lord is giving us, and this sounds, I don't know what it sounds like, but it's just the truth. I believe the Lord's given us opportunities to, Develop something precious 
in our lives as we go through what we, we have been going through. A friend of mine used to say, never waste your trials. I mean, if you're in one, get all the juice out of the orange. Get the most out of it. Find out what the Lord wants to do in your heart because, hey, you're in it, right? And I think that's important. So we need to develop life skills of positivity, of um, being able to readjust our attitude to find the value and the purpose God has in our lives in every situation. So now back to David. And this was the, the launching verse I had two weeks ago when I began this. And, of course, Andy spoke last week. How many of you here last week? Yeah, Andy did a great job. Way to go, Andy. Keep it up. I enjoyed that. It was a great message. But um, in the life of David and in the, in the history of Israel, Saul um, had been made king, and he hadn't done a good job. And so the Lord told the prophet Samuel, I have someone else in mind. I want you to go to anoint them. And so this is this is the story. Um so when Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons as kings, he called the household of Jesse, actually told Jesse, bring all your sons. One of them's going to be anointed king. But the interesting thing was he had eight sons, and he only invited seven of them. The, the youngest was not invited to the party. Um, but in this case, no one, not even Samuel the prophet, whose job it was to be able to identify kings when they're still teenage shepherds, even Samuel could not readily identify what the Lord was doing. And that was his job. Now, I'm I'm making this point. Just because you don't understand what's going on right now doesn't put you in a bad category. Are you listening? But the Lord really does want to give us meaning out of everything that goes on. He wants us to learn things. He wants us to grow. He wants us to develop. But it's not always readily evident as to what God's doing. How many of you would would agree with that? It's not readily um, evident. I think, uh, how many of you believe God gives us chances? Sure he does. Well, we need to give God chances. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to stick in here long enough to see what he's up to not make bad conclusions and, and, and make missteps. So the Lord sent Samuel to Jesse's family to anoint a king. I'll read this out of 1 Samuel 16, 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So Samuel invited Jesse and all his sons to a feast so that he could identify and anoint the next king of Israel, which was going to be Saul's replacement. So verse 6 of that same chapter reads this way. So it was when they came that Samuel looked at Eliab, that's the oldest, and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Say that with me. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God is able to not be persuaded by outward appearances, but he has the 
um, the ability to see into what's actually going on and make right choices, make right decisions. And so that's one of the things I think we need to pray for. We need to ask the Lord, let me see through the outward into what it is you're actually up to or what you're actually doing. So Samuel was immediately impressed with Jesse's son's Eliab, he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Wrong. Meaning this must be the one. But the Lord refused him for, I'll repeat this, the Lord does not see as as men see. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So even Samuel, the great prophet, I really like it when the Bible shows that some of the greatest spiritual people in the Bible uh, could be confused, could be stumped, and even depressed. Now, why does that encourage me? Because if it happens to them, I shouldn't be shocked if I have to deal with it too. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, you go through something tough, you go through something hard, it doesn't even necessarily mean there's something wrong with you. It just means you have an opportunity to see what the Lord wants to do in your life. So even Samuel was stumped when he looked at the outward appearance. So then Jesse called all six of his sons to come before Samuel And all seven of them, the Lord refused. And so then we come to verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. See that phrase, there he is, it's like, well, he's there. It's like David, the youngest, who had not even been invited, was within sight or vision of what was going on, but he'd been left out. How many of you have been left out before? You could see what was going on. You wanted to be part, but you were left out. Well, sometimes being left out is what God is doing to prepare you to bring you into something. Can you hear that? Yeah, sometimes being ignored is a process you need to go through to learn things you wouldn't learn if you were always the most popular person in the room. So... Samuel says, are all the young men here? And he says, well, there's one more. He says, go, bring him. We're not going to sit down until he comes. So he sent, brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. So Samuel takes his horn of oil and anoints David in the midst of his brothers. And um, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So we need to see beyond the external to see accurately. We need to inquire of the Lord until we sense that we've accurately discerned what's going on. I mean, if you think about it, even the great prophet prayed seven different times to discover what God was after. I think that's important. Even the prophet had to learn how to find the king and the shepherd boy. For the Lord doesn't see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, there's another uh, episode in the Bible. Matter of fact, I have found probably five or six of these where people who should have known the Lord, particularly in the New Testament when it came to knowing Jesus, didn't recognize him uh, when they had encountered him. And one of these is in Luke 24. And Luke 24 tells us the story of two disappointed disciples just after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. They just don't happen to believe in the resurrection. 
And they're walking from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. And the story tells us this, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So here's another situation where people could not readily identify the Lord. Um, Incomplete understanding and disappointment, I believe, had blinded them to who he was, although they knew him well. And God's purpose for these men was in Jerusalem. To leave the will of God and go to Emmaus clouded their perception. And I believe that's a vital truth. If we leave the will of God, if we just go out on our own, one of the characteristics, one of the things that can happen to you is your judgment becomes clouded. Your ability to accurately discern things can be affected. I don't think we realize how important it is to do the things God really, really wants us to do. I think about um, the Ten Commandments. They weren't suggestions. Have you ever thought about that? The Ten Commandments. Now, I don't want to get into all that. I don't want to get into legalism. But what I'm saying is we need a healthy respect for the fear of the Lord. We really do. We need to discover what he has for our lives and does it and do that rather. Now, the purpose of God was in Jerusalem, but through their disappointment and incomplete understanding of what God was doing, they had left to go to another city called Emmaus. And so on their way to Emmaus, Jesus walks up to them. They don't recognize him. And so this is what Jesus says to them. He listens to what they're saying. He says, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Now, the Greek tells us that that conversation, when it says, um, when it talks about their kind of conversation, their conversation was animated and heated. These guys were really confused and really hurt by what had happened. Their idea of what Jesus was going to do was wrong and they were suffering the consequences. So the language also reads this way, as you walk, period, and they stood still looking sad. Eventually, Jesus readjusted their understanding. Actually, what he did was he preached himself from every book of the Bible. So probably the best message Jesus ever preached on earth, and there were two people listening. That's Jesus preaching himself from every book in the Old Testament. It's a pretty incredible message. So he readjusted their understanding. Then they, he blessed and broke bread with them. The Bible says their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. So a better understanding of Jesus and a personal relationship, personal time with him improved their vision drastically. The text also tells us this. Before they broke bread with Jesus, and I really want you to hear this. Before they broke bread with Jesus and after Jesus had spoken to them, um, describing himself and what he had to go through based on all the Old Testament scriptures, he acted as though he would go on his way and leave them. But they constrained him, the text tells us. Meaning, 
And I looked up the word constrained. Here's what the word constrained can mean. To employ force contrary to nature and what's right. So they constrained Jesus. So what did they do? They employed force contrary to nature and what was right. How many of us have given up on pressing into the Lord for both understanding and help? That's, that's, that's a vital. We see this over and over where Jesus would pass people by if they did not respond to him because it seems to be very important for the Lord to be responded to. Things don't just work automatically. Ask and what will happen? You'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door shall be open to you because um, this really is a relationship. This is, this is a give and take between us and the Lord. So we, we see here that Jesus would have acted like he would have gone on. But they said, no, no, um, stay with us, eat with us. And so when they sat down to eat, Jesus blessed the food and broke it. And when they ate it, their eyes were open to see who he really was. So we have to persevere. I think that's important. Another episode in the New Testament is in Mark chapter 6. Here we find an example of Jesus' disciples not recognizing him in a time of stress. Jesus had just fed the multitude and his disciples, he had sent his disciples ahead of him across the Sea of Galilee. I just love these stories about Jesus. Just to see what he's really like. And so we have in verse 46, and when Jesus had sent them them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea And Jesus was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. Now you've got to understand, it's pitch dark. Jesus is between four and six miles away. The disciples are in a boat struggling with the wind and the waves. And Jesus sees them. Well, it was too dark to see him and it was too far away to see him. What was that all about? Well, Jesus had a supernatural vision of where his disciples were and what they needed, what condition they were in. He saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And he did something pretty strange. And I think you just have to really like this about Jesus. He's just out of control. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And listen to this, would have passed them by. Let me read that again. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, what did they say? Hey, Jesus, wait a sec. Where are you going passing us by? No, they went, ah! because they thought he was a ghost. Now, there's a big difference between Jesus and a ghost, I'm sure. I don't know what a ghost looks like. I don't think I've ever seen one. (laughs) My grandson had a response. I didn't quite hear it, but I'm sure it was vital. (laughs) But Jesus was going to walk right by him. 
They're in trouble. Are you hearing this? They're in trouble. And he's just walking by. After they cried out, they all saw him. So that's why they cried out. But immediately he talked to them and he said, be of good cheer. Be happy. It's me. Don't be afraid. What if that's the word of the Lord to us in this storm we're going through? Be of good cheer. It's I. Do not be afraid. Didn't mean he was a storm, but he meant he was in the storm. And I'm going to tell you something. A lot of internal storms stop when you recognize God's in it. I mean, the external may rage. You don't have any control over that. But the internal, when you see the Lord in your circumstance, a lot of those storms will stop when you can recognize, hey, God's in this. Let's say that together. Hey, God's in this. Look at somebody and say, hey, God's in this. He, he, and he's not scared. He ain't scared. He not, he's not scared. He's not having an identity crisis. That might be you, but he's... He knows who he is, and he knows who you are, and he's right there with you. Acted like he was going to pass him by. So that's classic Jesus, and that's classic disciples. I really like that. You ever been in the middle of something, and all you need to do is just scream in fear? <laughs> that's biblical, ladies and gentlemen. That's not that bad a response, quite frankly. Because even that got Jesus' attention. Oh, he just doesn't want to be ignored. Have you ever figured that out? Okay. So good. I've got two or three more, but let me read you this one. Moses at the burning bush. Moses at the burning bush. Also in Luke 24, Jesus wanted a response out of the Disciples on the road to Emmaus to complete their understanding of what was going on. You remember that? I've just talked about that. He acted like he was going to walk away. They constrained him. In the boat in the storm, Jesus was walking on the water, acted like he was going to go right by them, but they screamed and he came. Jesus likes response. Um, Moses at the burning bush. Most of you are probably familiar with that story. Um, God's determined to deliver, I think it was 2 million Jews from Egyptian bondage. They had been in there in, they'd been in Egypt 430 or 440 years and they'd been slaves for almost 400 of those years. And so the Lord decides he's going to do something about it. And so he manifests himself in a burning bush. Actually, if you study it, it was a blackberry bush. That's pretty cool, right? So God's in a bush. Don't you love the Bible? Don't you, doesn't that pique your interest? A burning bush, a blackberry bush on fire, only it's God. And, and well, I won't get into that part, but there's more to it. But here's what happens. Moses sees it. And the Bible says in Exodus 3, verses 3 and 4, 
Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush does not burn. And here's a vital verse four. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And so we see that again. When the Lord saw that Moses responded, so important to, to respond to the Lord. Now I'm not making this a, a doctrine. Please don't misunderstand me. God can do whatever he wants to do. We don't have to get things right for things to be right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because God can do both sides of the equation. But there's something that we see over and over and over that's vital to the Lord that we respond to him, that we speak to him, that we don't just walk past life and not pay attention to something the Lord is doing or talking about or saying. Even if something is bizarre, as a burning bush, a bush that, that would not go out. So I'm not making this a doctrine, but I'm saying, hey, listen, I observed this over and over again. Sometimes you might just get up in the morning and say, God, what are you doing? And you feel like you're saying that to no one in particular, right? And sometimes it may help to say it out loud. God, what are you doing? I don't get this. What's going on? Maybe that's important to the Lord. And he has many different ways he can respond. One more I want to talk about is Mary in the garden after the resurrection. We find this in John 20. And we see that her grief and her unbelief and her disappointment affected her vision as well. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early in the morning to care for the dead body of Jesus. And she discovered that the tomb was empty. She stood there weeping as she looked in. Then she saw two angels who asked her why she was weeping. And she said, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Very obviously, she did not believe in the resurrection. I keep thinking this. I love this about these people. They don't get it the first time. Are you listening? They, they can be told plainly what's going to happen and they still simply don't get it. Are, are you listening? Listen, it's okay to be dull. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's okay to not get it. It's okay to not understand what's going on, but um, it doesn't mean you can't develop your, your discernment. It doesn't mean you can't develop your relationship with the Lord. And maybe, maybe the fact of what goes on is God's way of trying to get our attention to break us out of just normal everyday stuff. How many of you can hear that? I mean, we don't have normal everyday stuff right now, do we? But here's a problem. We can fall into, I don't even like the word new normal. We can fall into the new normal. What does that mean? You don't shower. You live in your sweatpants. You let yourself go. How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, we comb your hair. Come on. <laughs> okay, so she goes to the tomb. Jesus, poor Jesus, that's not dead. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I just thought that was pretty funny. Poor, <laughs> poor Jesus. Who's going to go down and see dead Jesus? But he wasn't there. Somebody stole him. No, he got up. He's good. <laughs> okay. Now, when Mary had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Do you realize the Lord always asks us questions he doesn't require answers for by, of himself? He knows why she was weeping. He knows who she is seeking. But there's something about this God who asks questions and almost every time he's asking us questions, he's, do, he's trying to get us out of a mess. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's trying to get us to see something we don't see or to believe something we don't believe or to do something we're not doing. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And when she heard her name, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. So there you again, there again you have someone very close to Jesus not being able to recognize him. In, in situations of turmoil or distress. Um, signs, your assessment of what God is doing is inaccurate. How many of you like the signs? You ready? Turn to someone and say, here they come. Here they come. Or tweet something, whatever you're doing. I don't care. No, signs that your assessment of what God is doing is inaccurate. Fear, discouragement, despair, and unbelief. So I was thinking again about David. Um, when you read the whole story of David, after he's anointed king, do you know what he goes, do you know what he does right after he is anointed king? Anybody know? You might say kill Goliath, you might say, go to be with Saul. No, here's what he did right after he was anointed. He went back and took care of the sheep. Nothing changed. A change had come, but nothing outwardly seemed to change at all. And I think that's important. Things can change and we don't recognize it. We can be asking for a change. God can already do something that's initiated it, and we just simply don't see it yet. So what was David doing before his story advanced? Well, the Bible tells us this. Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who was a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. And so Saul said, go get him from following the sheep and bring him to me. So what was David doing? What was David doing before he advanced, before his story changed? He was doing this. 
<coughs> this is what you should do. He was cultivating his skill. He was developing his character. Now, David had some huge character issues, right? But he was. He was prudent in speech. He was a handsome man. He got off the couch. He got out of his sweatpants. He got a shower. He shaved. He combed his hair. He was a man of valor. He didn't back down from adversity. He was a person of integrity. His personal integrity, he continued to develop when nobody watched him. So here's what we need to do. We need to take care of ourselves. I made this note. Don't let yourself go. What is it Jordan Peterson says? Make up your bed. And we need to ask God to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and to give us accurate discernment and wisdom to know what to do now. Not when things change, but now. What are you supposed to be doing now? What can you develop now? What can you change now? What can you adjust now? What progress can you make now? I think that's that's really important. And I'm going to close with this. David... Um, wrote this psalm, Psalm 27. I'm just going to read verse 14. He says, here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting, for he will never disappoint you. That's Psalm 27, 14 out of the Passion Translation. Okay. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray for you. Why don't you stand and we'll pray and be dismissed. Thank you for being here. I want to thank the worship team. How many of you believe they did a great job? Yeah, yeah. I want to thank um, Brandy as well. She makes these um, activity bags for the kids. I think we have um, kids ministry next week, Brandy. That's right. We do have kids ministry next week. And um, when we don't have it, we do have some auxiliary rooms with audio and visual in it. Uh, anyway, it's been so good to see you. Let me pray for you. Father, here we are. We're in an opportunity to meet you in a fresh, brand new way. I ask that you would give us discernment, that you'd give us courage, that you'd give us confidence, that you would give us vision, and you would give us um, a noble spirit. Father, I ask that you would give us kindness, particularly in these days of serious, serious hostility that you would let our light so shine among men that it would glorify our Father in heaven. In whose name do we pray? In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. 
For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.